stuff, so but that's okay. We're going to go through this because there's some things that are really exciting. Um, for the next couple of weeks, you're going to be encouraged and challenged as I am, as I think in through this process. Let me begin by saying I, uh, I don't think you've ever heard a sermon from 1 Corinthians 5 on incest. I never have. And yet that's exactly part of the topic as we get into. So listen to me as I read 1 Corinthians 5, chapter, uh, chapter 5, and just follow with me here. It is actually re- reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind that does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. And you have become arrogant. And you have not mourned instead, so that the one who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. But for I, on my part, though I'm absent in body but present in spirit, I've already judged him who has so committed this. As though I were present in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, I have decided to deliver such one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, has also been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast Not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of the malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Let me stop there, because there's so much in this as we get into it. Let me just pray. Father, would you again uh, take this word and somehow open us up to it, and that we might understand the spirit of the text, and so give us... Give us your mindset, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this, this is not a topic that you want to talk about in public circles because we don't like to talk about things that are deviant. And it's a crazy thing. When you think about what Allison read, that, that the people of the time of Asakar they said, notice what they said, that these men understood the times. One, they knew what was going on. And two, they had knowledge of what they should do. And there was leaders, generals, chiefs, kinsmen, uh, who were leading the group. And notice the whole group is called under that understanding that these people brought, and they were at their command. It means that they were willing to follow the teaching of, of the men, the sons of Isaacar. And so the need of the hour is the same thing. When we come to the idea that, that we have a need for discernment, the need of the hour of discipleship is that we would learn one devotion, discipline, and discernment. And this passage is really about this. And so if you think that that which took place 2,000 years ago doesn't really affect us today. That's our call to really listen to the spirit of the text and say, okay, Lord, you have preserved this for people of all generations. So we're going to look at this. Uh, but the idea that, 
that men could read the times all the way through Scripture. There were always people who were wise and discerning. The whole book of Judges was set up for that Israelites to come to the judges to know what to do in situations that were confusing. You get it in uh, all the way through the Old Testament. But our society can't read the signs of the time because they don't have the spirit from heaven to read this, to read the signs of the time. Our society doesn't know what to do. Our society is confused. Now, they're losing the war on the moral front. And our society doesn't know that they are becoming numb to a sense of living without God, and therefore it becomes a godless society. Our country, one nation under God, indivisible, has become one nation divisible. And we don't understand why it's happened so rapidly, so quickly in my lifetime. I never thought that I would see us be at this point because when you grow up, Life was kind of stable and normal, but now it's, everything's chaotic and confusing and deviant kind of thing. So you have more people today dealing with things that you never thought about they were dealing with 30, 40 years ago, especially with the drugs or the alcohol or the incarceration number has gone up, theft, name it. But all this has to do with the symptoms of living in a fallen world. So we'll look at this. I mentioned, as Paul is trying to help us understand that as Christians, we follow Jesus Christ. And our our allegiance is to him. And as we understand the gospel, as he's redeemed us, sanctified us, set us apart, and he's helping us grow up in the wisdom to have the mind of Christ. As I think about this, the idea that you have your senses trained to discern between good and evil is for you and for me, if we're listening to the Spirit's work inside of us. So, way back when, I mentioned that this whole book of Corinthians is the American book. It is the book for our times. As you want, I want to unpack this, and, and for the next couple of weeks, you're going to see how this really is practical and challenging, but you need to have this understanding because the backstory of the Greek culture, if you go to the culture, and you're going to get your identity and your culture as, as, or as your authority, you're going to have lots of issues about who's going to influence you and your thinking. We talked about the first chapter one. But these are the stories. It's about your Christian spirituality. It's how you see yourself in the world as a Christian and how the world sees you as a Christian. So there's going to be tension wherever you go. But... To understand that these issues of the gospel, the grace, your relationships, your openness to learn from the body and your leadership and, and, and then to read the world and have this understanding how to read the times, but also to have that sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, that you can put them all together and it makes sense. Right now our world doesn't make sense. And therefore, that's why I've been focusing on the first four chapters about this thing of wisdom from the Holy Spirit. Now, do you have the wisdom of the Holy Spirit? Well, the issue is yes, you do. But do you experience that wisdom? Or do you know how much? Are you aware of what God is doing for you? And the answer is probably not. Because we are weak in the church of knowing how this works. And so we would confess 
our, our theology has for a long time been afraid of the Holy Spirit because it's the Spirit of Christ and we get kind of do, 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 do. You know, like this isn't the way we do things in the world. This isn't the way Christian. It's about your understanding of how the Spirit of God is at work. And so I went back through and I said to myself, self, look at the titles that I've been talking about. For the last six titles, and it goes all the way back to the book, look at those titles. Misreading the Spirit, Judging with the Spirit's Wisdom, Summoning the Saints to the Spirit's Master Class. So many of the saints, it's part two. We're sophomores in the spirit. Just want to bring that back to say that, that there were differences that disrupt and grace that gathers. As, as we're in the school of the spirit, we're going to continue this, especially because we need the discernment to understand the times. Because Paul was afraid of the Corinthians being misled. And so he said, I'm afraid, Corinthians, that as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, that your minds would be led astray from the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. Paul was concerned about that because the Corinthians were baby Christians. They were pagan Christians. They don't have the 2,000 years of Old Testament, but they were quite vulnerable. And he was only there a short time, comparatively, but he says, your minds could be led astray. And this is where the idea that if your mind or your heart would be led astray, it's because there's some work that the Spirit of God needs to do. But if your loyalty is to the... Uh, traditions or the culture and your heart isn't there if your devotion your adoration your worship isn't there then you are also quite vulnerable and more than you recognize more than I recognize you remember the story of Lot Abraham's nephew that when Sodom and Gomorrah came and the judgment came Lot ran away from Sodom and Gomorrah but what happened to his wife she looked back. She was warned, don't look back. But when she looked back, she became a pillar of salt. And the idea that she would set her, it wasn't the fact that she looked back, she set her eyes back there, it was her heart was back there. Her identity, what she really wanted was, oh, I can't let that go. And she, she didn't. The idea of salt. The idea of, Salt, I mentioned about six months ago that salt has two functions. One, Jesus said you're the salt of the earth and so that salt is to preserve the good. When, when you have uh, fish you want to keep for a long time, you want to keep it, you want to preserve the good. And, and salt was used on sacrifices. Salt was used in the covenant. Salt means purifying, the things that really are setting you apart. And so whether the sacrifices that would be offered, they would put salt on the, on the animals, they would purify that animal and they would be sacrificed. But salt was also used to, not only to purify and, and set apart, it was also to prevent disease or bacteria growing. And so when they would go to the, the, the latrines outside of the cities. North, most cities would have latrines in the northwest. The Qumran community had a whole uh, latrine system 
but they would throw salt in the latrine. And the salt means it would break down the bacteria and would keep that bacteria from growing and becoming more of a mess, but they would throw salt in. The salt means that you are the salt of the earth. You're supposed to preserve the good and prevent the bad. When Shechem was destroyed, Abimelech put salt over the city so that the city would dissolve and be undone. Well, the idea that that you can't look back. You can't have devotion to one. You have to have your heart purified, and that's what the Spirit of God does. It will, it will prevent you from going back and promote you to go forward because you can't serve two masters. Didn't Jesus say that? He said, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Now keep this in mind. Because this comes into play in the Corinthians. You can't serve two masters. You can't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. First John says. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh. And we'll talk about that. We're going to be talking about the sexual ethics. And we're going to get into sexuality in such a way that I want you to understand that the church has been silent on this for years. Very silent. But the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father and is not from the Spirit. It's from the world. Therefore, Jesus would compare. If you are in the world, you're either going to be a wise man listening to the Spirit and building your house on solid foundation, or you're going to be a fool following the world and going to be falling flat, maybe incarcerated. But Paul, Paul talks about this, doesn't he, in first chapter... In, 1 Corinthians 2, he says, if you are a spiritual man, if you're maturing in Christ, if you know the gospel, if you know the grace, if you know the Lord, and you know the Spirit, there's liberty because the spiritual man appraises, evaluates, thinks critically, and understands what is worthy and what is not worthy. This is the discernment. This is the prudence. And boy, don't we all need that? Sure we do. I do. But the idea that there's, there's a spirit there, and in my poking around, this is what I do. I found out that the Holy Spirit is mentioned more in this book, in 1 Corinthians, than any other book. Because this is what they need to hear to get things settled. You've got these uh, passages. Not why that little blue arrow came in there, I don't know. But Philippians got five, Ephesians got 16, 2 Corinthians 17, Galatians 8. These are the number of times Paul uses, refers to the Holy Spirit. But there you see Romans is 35 and 1 Corinthians, you got 40 times. So you can't miss this. If you do miss this, you're not listening. So Mark last week, and thank you, Mark, for preaching last week. Mark talked about the baptism in Christ. And that if you're baptized in Christ, you, you are clothed with him. If you know that you have been called into the community, you are people of the Spirit, as Gordon Fee would say. And that you have been transferred from the kingdom of of darkness into the kingdom of light, an exodus out of Egypt, an exodus out of the flesh, an exodus out of the world. You are no longer your own. You've been bought with a price. And so there is this redemptive movement I talked about, and I'll, I'll bring it up in a minute. Last week we talked about that. 
But Paul was well aware of the fact that people would not be moving with the Spirit, but they'd be moving against the Spirit in, in accordance with the world. And therefore, that promise that Luke would say in Acts 1, you shall receive dunamis, power, and wisdom, but you will be powerful as witnesses because you're connected to the Christ who is now resurrected, and you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria, and in Chesterland, depending on which version of the Bible you read. I wrote that in mine. And in the remotest part of Trumbull, correctional facility. You see, the problem in chapter 1, the problem in chapter the problem in, when you read Corinthians in these commentaries, they will take chapters 1, 2, 3, 4 and chunk it together and then they go to chapter 5 and now we're talking about incest. This is totally different. It's not different. Bring everything he's saying to chapter 5 because here's where the wisdom and the power comes in to deal with the sexual immorality that they're dealing with. And that's what people miss as a matter of fact, five, six, and seven, your, people have said these are separate issues. But for me, they're symptoms of the fact that they don't have chapters one through four down. So the problem in chapter five is not isolated. The Corinthians were trying to mix the gospel with a Greek culture. Again, in the Greek culture, there were 30,000 gods. You can be a Christian, just add one more philosophy, one more religion, it wasn't a big deal. But the problem was, if Paul would not have addressed this, Christianity would have become one of a smorgasbord of religions. And therefore, the whole gospel was at stake. Because what Paul was saying is, there's not one God among many gods that you follow. You can follow anything you want to. To make a difference, it's your belief. My belief. No, no. This is about the one God, the living God, the Shema, hero Israel, the Lord is one. There's not a multitude of gods. There's only one living God. Everything else is an idol, a deceptive idol. And if your loyalty is to a deceptive idol, you're going to have a difficulty letting go. So Paul was aware of that fact. But it would also talk about the culture creeping into the church and, and influencing, flavoring with an unsalty seasoning, an ungodly seasoning, and that was what was happening. It would, it would be problematic for them because they couldn't grow upward into maturity, into discernment, because they were being influenced by the foolishness of the world. But the third thing was it would distort the gospel of grace. And so over and over again, when you have this syncretism, this mixture, this, this uh, tossed salad of faith, you have a, a blending. And so the Corinthians were quite comfortable with that because they would let anything into their country. Psalm, David wrote, they mingled with the nations and they learned their practices. What happened to Israel? What happened to the 10 tribes of the northern Israel? They mingled with the nations, and they were destroyed. Ephraim, Hosea, one of my favorite books in the Old Testament. Ephraim says, uh, uh, Hosea says, Ephraim, another name for Israel, has mixes himself with the nations. He has become a cake not turned. 
a half-baked cake. Can you imagine eating pancakes that are only cooked on one side? Would you do that? Well, that's, it's not right. And so you begin to realize when you have things that are not right in the church, and they are not right in the church. So Jude would say, certain people have come into the church, and they have their influence on the church. Now notice what it says in Jude uh, 1 to 4. Uh, 4. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turned the grace of our God into licentiousness, and they deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. They're in the church, and you don't have to believe in Jesus. There are theologians today who are saying on our airwaves, you don't have to believe that Jesus resurrected from the dead to be a Christian. Did you know that? You don't have to believe that Jesus is God. You don't have to believe the Bible. You can believe anything you want to and call it Christian. And that's, that's a problem. But he mentions this word licentiousness. And this is an issue I just want to bring out. Because if you go to Corinth, you've got these two words, uh, licentiousness. If, if you know the, the story, if you were Corinthian, it means you were loose. And you would go to the temple and you would have sex in the temple. You would have sex as a natural not natural, as an unnatural expression of anything you wanted to do. And so the word to Corinthianize became the tag if you were from the city. Oh, yeah, you, who would you like to? And so they, would, they, just, they were loose people. Licentiousness means this. It's a promiscuous and unprincipled in sexual matters, disregarding sexual rules and disregarding the conventions. Licentiousness is the other word with you. We don't, we don't use these words in English anymore. Lasciviousness. Feeling or, reveal, or revealing an overt and often offensive sexual desire or attraction. It's everywhere in the New Testament. Why? These are pagan countries. These are, these are worldly. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They're governed by the flesh. So much so that if you go to Corinth today, there was a place called the Asclepion, which was a healing center. And I mentioned this a while back, that in those centers there would be snakes running around and you would take an offering, you would make a clay, a terracotta mold of a piece of your body that was sick. And you would take it to the healing center and the priest or whatever, whoever was there, would heal, would heal because they thought that was the place where the snake would give you, uh, would have powers for healing. And so lasciviousness in that country meant that in Corinth, with lots of port, lots of guys coming into the port city from Ethiopia and Spain and Lebanon and everywhere, Sailors would come into the port city. So what do sailors do when they've been out in sea for a long while? They go have sex with women in the temple. What happens when you have sex so loosely uh, allowed in your country? You get a lot of sexual transmitted diseases. 
And this place, this museum, if you go in, they would make a lot of clay models of your sexual parts and bring in those parts for healing. Now, I'm not making this up. <laughs> it's historically, uh, this is one of the things, but what really got to me is Paul really emphasized that if your spirituality is going to be worth anything, it's going to affect your sexuality. But we have, we have this problem, it, even today, we have what, we call, what I call a sexually controlled spirit as opposed to a spiritually controlled sexuality. And those are different. But you put Christian on both of them, you can't tell, because here's the allowance for incest. Now, here's, here's something for you. Again, Paul said you would appraise all things, but you notice, have you ever noticed this star of life? Is it up there? Yeah. The star of life on an ambulance, you've seen this before, see that blue star up there? See inside that star? What's that called? It's the Asclepion, and here is the Asclepion. If you've been in my office, this is on my door as I go in. This is, this is on the ambulance. This is on pharmacies. This is on the American, <clears throat> This is on the American, uh, where is that one? Is that it? Yeah. And so you'll see two snakes here. But these two snakes, if it's a Roman, it's this is mythology that they're fighting snakes. But the Hermes, this is the Hermes messenger from God. This is very Greek. How that got on our system, I have no idea. But the idea that <clears throat> the rod in between, the rod of Asclepius, is where we get the idea of medical healing. Do you know the Hippocratic oath that doctors take? Guess where that was, where he was from? Corinth. The first hospital was in Corinth. These healing centers, that's why it's on our ambulances. That's why it's on the American Medical Association. And therefore, the healing that the Greeks would have would be they, they do some conjuring, but they would take that snake and they thought that would be part of the healing process. It's crazy. All that to say is that when the Spirit of God is involved with people, you should see movement, as we talked about last time, that, <clears throat> that when God works, he wants to deliver you from these sexual addictions, to deliver you from this darkness and lasciviousness and, and this out-of-control sexual addiction that our country is really... But it's not new. That's not new. When Paul wrote the book of Romans, and he talks about that great chapter in Romans 1 where people denied God, wouldn't recognize him as God, it says he wrote that book from Corinth. So you know. And therefore, this redemptive movement, I'm going to try to wrap this up here, that we mentioned last two weeks ago, I want you to get this to understand that the original culture, X, this is a review, the original culture, think think of Corinth, was going to be moving towards the why, the Bible, what the Bible says. And here's just tension, what the Bible says and what the culture says. But the idea of Z is the kingdom culture. And so the the Spirit of God is going to move us out that way. And therefore, there's movement in the Spirit as you listen to 
listen to the wisdom of the Spirit and you deal with sin. Paul would say it this way. What, what, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or how do you know, or do you not know that all of us who've been baptized, thank you, Mark, into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death and baptized into his resurrection? This is the eschaton, this is the heaven come down, this is the new life in Christ that Paul says the Corinthians are going to lose because they're listening to the wrong spirit. Their allegiance was to listen to the wisdom of the world instead of the wisdom of the Spirit. Now the problem here, to summarize, there were two problems in Corinth. Incest, that's a problem. It's a problem that even the pagans didn't do. But Paul was saying, this is not allowed and I'm going to judge it, I'm appraising this, this is not of the Spirit of God, this is not what the kingdom of God is about, this is not what identifies the people. You don't continue in this sin, but you move away from it. That's one problem. The second problem was not incest or sexual ethics at all. The problem was this. The Corinthians were judging Paul. The Corinthians were judging Paul as he's a wacko. He's a rebel. I don't think we should follow him. And questioning Paul, the father that started this church, they questioned Paul. But they didn't question the guy who had incest. And they didn't question themselves. And therefore, their focus was outward, not inward. And because of that, there are two problems. What do you deal with? How do you deal with sexual immorality in the church? That's an issue. How do you deal with sexuality inside your heart? Because that's another issue. Because Jesus said it's from within. The problem isn't the culture. The problem is an internal one. And therefore, if you mix with the nations and you learn their system and you follow their values and you can't let go, then you're promoting evil instead of promoting good. They mingled with the nations. Well, this idea that that Paul would say, I am so concerned that you're going to be misled. Church, we are being misled. We are following the ways of the world. We are not bringing about judgment, the appraisal of the Spirit. And next week we're going to get into this. Because how do you answer a man who says, I feel like a woman trapped in a man's body? How do you handle somebody who says, my son's nine years old. I think they should have a sex change. How do you say to Disney, I think you're really going down the wrong road by endorsing this, this political agenda that you don't have any clue what's about. The men who understood the signs of the time are men who would have the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God wants you free. I want you free, but Paul was very much aware that we're not free and that we have a loyalty to a deceitful heart unless the Spirit of God changes that. There's so much of this. Next week we're going to get into some things that are really going to be, I think, helpful to understand. But we need to learn and ask for the wisdom. How do you, how do you love people in prison? Not only in TCI, 
but who are in prison in their own thinking. Well, there's more to come next week. Let's, uh, let's close in word. <clears throat> Jesus, there is so much you want to teach us. Thank you that you are the master teacher. Give us the learning heart so that our loyalty would be towards you. Again, we praise you that you want us free. We don't need to live in those things because of the resurrection of Christ. So Lord, hold us, keep us, teach us, shepherd us in Jesus' name. Amen.